As Ed read, we're in John chapter 5, and if you haven't been with us or you've been with us a while ago and you come back and we're still in the Gospel of John, that's because we go by verse by verse through books of the Bible and it takes us a while, but we do that so that way I don't skip over things that are hard and that we get the full counsel of God. We want to hear from God and we believe that this season, I believe that for this season, God wants us to spend time in the Gospel of John to see how great Jesus is, how wonderful He is, and how we can be in awe of Him and thus worship Him better. Quick way of reminder, especially if you weren't here last week, it's just filling you in, but for those of you who were, last week we went and we saw how Jesus healed this official's son, and the guy comes up to Jesus and he, he says to him, uh, come, my son's sick, he's going to die, will you come heal him? And... Jesus kind of pushes back some on the guy at first, saying that you just want to see miracles and signs. That's the only reason you're believing. And the guy says, no, 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 I really, come come heal my son. And Jesus doesn't go with the guy. But he shows his power and he just says, your son's going to live. And Jesus heals him from a distance. Well, today we're going to look at a different healing in Jerusalem. So we're going to start in verse 5. We're going to go through verse by verse together. And may God... Give us insight. Chapter 5, book of John, starting in verse 1. After this, so after he just healed this child and was going around still, after this, we don't know exactly when, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Feast of the Jews. There's a bunch of different feasts, but there's three in particular that they would go to Jerusalem, up to Jerusalem to go and worship there and do those feasts. You have the Passover, which we saw earlier in the Bible. You have Pentecost, and you have the Feast of Booths. We don't know which one this is. So, because it's not written in there, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter which feast it is. The point is that Jesus is going up to Jerusalem. Now again, elevation-wise, Jerusalem is up, so he's heading that direction. But again, also, there's always this idea of when they go to Jerusalem, is the holy city, it's where God is, and so it's always going up, if you will, to Jerusalem, because that's the high point. That's where worship takes place. So, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Verse 2. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic, or Hebrew, called Bethsaida, some translations say. Bethesda, some translations say. It just kind of depends on how they decided to translate, because the word is very similar and can uh, be close to other ones. But ultimately, the word means... House of mercy. The house of mercy is where this is at. This pool at the sheep gate near the sheep gate. So this is basically in Jerusalem on the northeast side. There's a gate that you come through, and this is where this pool is at. And this makes sense because Jesus was coming from the northeast, and he's heading down, and he comes to this pool. John gives us some details about this, and those who do archaeology and such have found. Uh, where this pool is at. Other things have been built around it, but we do know, again, like all of Scripture, that good archaeology, good science will support Scripture. It always will. And so they have found this place, which has five roof colonnades. Ultimately, what that means is they found these, it's basically these two pools, and it has kind of a square around it and with roofs on it, and then one that goes directly down the middle that divides the two, and that one has a roof on it too. So that's the five roofs that it has on there. Verse 3, in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. 
This is where you go. If you're paralyzed, if you're sick, you can't seem to get better, this is the place you go to. Because there's a legend that's going to be mentioned in some of your Bibles in verse 4, but not in some of your Bibles. And some of you are going to go, what? What's going on here? In the ESV, if you notice, if you're using a pew Bible or you're using what I'm preaching from, it actually goes verse 3 to verse 5 and leaves out verse 4. Some of you using probably New King James or King James, you have verse 4, which explains something else that's happening. Why in the world would some Bibles have this and some Bibles not? That's it. Close the doors. Pack it up. We can't trust the Word of God. It's time to go. That's not the case. Realize that the Bible was written a long time ago. A very long time ago. Now, God inspired by His Holy Spirit those who wrote the Scriptures. Just like if I was here to write back in that time. If I was writing something, He would be inspiring me to write that. What would then happen is that they would make copies of what I wrote. But guess what? I don't have a copy machine like we do. Well, ours works sometimes. But, they don't have a copy machine, so they would have those who, their job, scribes, would be actually to copy the Scriptures. So they would then make copies, and those copies would be sent out, and then other people would grab those copies, and they would translate those into other languages, and this would just spread all over. And some would say, well, I don't know if we can trust that. So realize this, when God was inspiring the writing of Scripture, it didn't all come together in one day. It was well over 1,500 years that all this was written by 40 different authors. But what's incredible is there's this one story that goes throughout, the story of redemption. And there's prophecies from hundreds of years before that come true, and we see that. But as time passes, there are copies of those copies of those copies. And every once in a while, we'll find things that seem to be added in one of those copies that were down the road a ways. Okay? Now, God, again, is over this. He's over the writing. He's over those copies that were made by His Spirit. He's preserving His Word. But when you get to some of these copies way down, every once in a while you'll find something that a few manuscripts have this verse 4 that some of you have in your Bible and some don't. And so what scholars have to do is they look at, the, they look at those texts and they say, okay, we have older ones, more reliable ones that were closer to the time the Bible was written. They don't have that verse. So when the translators are making decisions, some went ahead and added that in there. And the New King James or King James. Is it true? Possibly. Does it make a huge difference in what it says? Not really. But the oldest manuscripts, as they found them more and more later, show that that one was not in those original or close to original manuscripts. So the ESV does not add it in there. Some of your Bibles do. It'll say something in part or wholly in some of these old manuscripts of they were waiting for the moving water for an angel of the Lord would come down and stir the waters and the first person in would be healed. Probably not in those original texts, and it's something that came much later, and thus what newer scholars, those who write newer translations, will leave that out. That's why it's not in the ESV. Does that make sense? Now again, it's not that God's word is just, oh, we can't trust any of it. If that were to be added in there, it doesn't change anything. This pool gets stirred, people get healed. There's obviously a reason that people are going there, because they're invalids and they're trying to get healed. It does not make a difference as far as who Jesus is, redemption, any of those things. It's a side note. A scribe may have added it later, but what's interesting is God has showed us the older manuscripts to make sure that we know what should be in there and what shouldn't be in there. Okay? So I want to give you that side note of why in verse 3 
going 3 to 5 in the ESV, why that exists. So verse 3, In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Going to verse 5. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Long time. And it seems to have this idea that he would go to this pool regularly, and whether or not he's waiting on, he's, we find out he's waiting on something, but he goes or he's brought to this pool waiting so he can get in and get healed. That's his hope. To get in the water and get healed, possibly for 38 years. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? This is where I want to camp for a few minutes. First thing, this place was full of people who were sick, invalids. People who couldn't get down there. Lame. Blind. Full of this place. Jesus singles out one. Why? Why does he choose that one? The answer is not in the text. We don't know exactly why. But what I want you to hear this morning is, if you're here this morning, that's part of Jesus singling you out. He's saying, whatever you were doing, I'm going to work through others to invite you. I'm going to work in your heart to move you. And you're here this morning. Let me tell, let me tell you, Jesus sees you. In your situation, whatever it is right now, Jesus sees you. So he saw this guy lying there and knew that he had already been there for a long time. We've seen in multiple chapters here that Jesus has this knowledge that not everybody has. He has this knowledge, this divine knowledge about things, so he knows that he's been there for a long time. Now let me ask you guys a question, seriously. End of verse 6. He says to him, do you want to be healed? What do you think the answer is to that? Obviously. (laughs) Jesus is he the king of kings and the king of being obvious? Like, what is the point? Why would he do that? I'm here on a bed, like laying, trying to get down into this water, and I can't do it. Yes, obviously I want to be healed. Why would Jesus ask this question? I think he gets the response next, and this is part of why he does it. Listen to what the sick man says. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool, and when the water is stirred up, when the water is stirred up And while I'm going, another one steps down before me. What a terrible situation. Whether that's an angel or something would bubble up or whatever would happen. The guy, possibly for 38 years, has been trying to get in. And as the water moves, he starts to try to go in and people just jump right past him. Or they roll past him. Or they do a cannonball into the pool and get past him. Whatever's happening, he can't get in there. Possibly for 38 years. I think what Jesus is doing here is he's wanting to show him truthfully how hopeless his situation is. Why don't you, sometimes we think on things, and it's not until we say things out loud that we hear it, and we go, oh man, that sounded a lot better in my head than before it came out of my mouth. My situation seemed a lot better, but then when I actually started to talk about it out loud, I'm hearing it. It's not a good situation. I think that's what Jesus is doing with this guy. He wants him to know, guess what? Your situation is hopeless. That pool is not going to do anything for you. It's most likely that that pool, again, the the debate on whether or not an angel of the Lord would come and stir that up and all that, 
it's definitely some type of superstition, most likely. I would, I would say most likely that's what's actually going on there. And people would believe that they could go down there and be healed. Now, what's interesting is, but what if people actually got healed? So I'm going to push on some of your buttons today. Step on your toes. I love you, but I'm going to do it anyway because I love you. Superstitions. I have a few for you. The idea of beginner's luck or luck itself. Do you know that there's no idea of luck in Scripture? I'm just unlucky. God is sovereign over everything. and It even says that when you roll the dice, God decides what number comes on the dice. You're not unlucky. God is sovereign and He's working things. And if you roll the dice and you lose in whatever game you're playing, God wants to teach you humility. If you win, He might be trying to encourage you. But there is no such thing in Scripture as luck. It doesn't exist. How about find a penny? Find a penny on the ground. I'm not kidding. The other day I was in Dollar General. This lady drops a penny on the ground. I'm like, I'm going to pick that up. Oh, it's, it's tails, heads down. I'm not getting it, she says. Seriously? Well, I'll get it for you. No, no, I don't want it. And you shouldn't want it either. I'll take it. If you don't want it, we'll, give it, we'll put it in the give a penny, take a penny thing. She was adamant. Guys, a penny is going to curse your life? When there's a sovereign God, Jesus, who's created everything and holds everything together? A penny? Not true. Not true. Don't walk under a ladder. You shouldn't do it anyway. Like That one I'm kind of like, well, that makes sense. Don't walk under a ladder. It might fall on you. But there's not going to be bad luck afterwards. Again, that does not exist. Black cats crossing your path? It's a cat. If your destiny and your future is based upon a cat, man, y'all, we're in trouble. I'm telling you. Hey, how about a lucky rabbit's foot? Who's ever had one? Be honest. Who's had a lucky rabbit's foot? (laughs) Very true. A lot of these come actually to us from overseas, from ancient times, where there were different spirits and beliefs that they had that brought over it, that came over to America in particular, and we still have them today. How about bad luck comes in threes? Ever heard that? Be careful with that mirror. The mirror breaks. How many years? Seven years, bad luck. Again, that's pretty scary. That's the case. I don't want any mirrors in my house. But if it doesn't really make a difference, how about 666? Now that is a number in Scripture, so we don't really want to be a part of that. But if you get that, it's like you're, you're at, the ga- at the pump and you're getting gas and it stops at 666. Um, some of you have done this before, I think, where it's like, I'll go one more. 667 is a little bit better for me. We do this one a lot, folks. We do the well, that hurricane's coming, but last time it didn't bother me, but that was actually based upon calling spirits from trees, perhaps, long ago. Evil spirits knocking on the wood. What you're saying is when you knock on the wood, your trust is not in Christ. Your trust is not in the sovereign God who can control everything. It's luck. Nowhere in Scripture, guys. Nowhere in Scripture. Make a wish on the wishbone. That's fun, but doesn't do anything. Cross your fingers. Don't open an umbrella inside. Once again, 
I agree with that because I have five kids. Like, put the umbrella down. You're going to poke somebody's eye out with that thing. It's not going to bring you any type of luck. How about Friday the 13th? Ooh. There's nothing different about that day as any other day from the sovereign Lord. A couple others that also hit home a little bit. Fortune cookies? Now, I'm not saying don't eat Chinese food. I'm for Chinese food. But realize most fortune cookies are typed up somewhere in America. At least that's what I found on the Internet. Okay? So it's not even some neat fortune coming over from overseas. But if you really think that you're going to open a cookie, it's going to have a message that's going to alter your life completely, guess what? There's another thing that's written that's living and active that we heard this morning. Read that. This will change your life. Not a fortune cookie. Yin and yang. You know that sign? I don't even know how to describe it, but black, white, has a curve and then a circle and the same opposite kind of on the other side. So, oh, that's so cool. There's balance and things like that. That's actually teaching a dualistic worldview that evil and good are the same. Evil and good, God and Satan, if you will, are the same. And it's this fight of what's happening. Not a biblical idea at all. God reigns. God is in control. He's sovereign. None of that makes a difference. Satan gets to do whatever God says he's allowed to do. Period. Period. And the last one, horoscopes. You have to be careful with these things. If who you are is based upon whatever month you were born in because of certain alignment of stars or other things, Scripture actually says that that's not true. And especially how your day, your month, your year, the person you're going to meet is going to be coming around the corner because your horoscope said so. That is not true. Do not trust in those things. Trust in God, who is sovereign over all. Don't believe those things. So it's possible and probably likely that that's what's going on with this situation. This guy is trusting in something that possibly people were healed from. But how did those people get healed? I'm so glad you asked. Roy, would you come on up here real quick? Now, there's a reason I'm not choosing Mr. Doug, and I'm not choosing Jamie or Brian or any of you other guys that are bigger than I am. Right. I'm a little bit bigger than you. Yep. So, let's say Roy has a pain in his, side, in his arm here. Does that hurt a little bit? Not too bad. Not too bad. Nah, that's a okay. Worse. So, he's got this pain, right? Now, let's say in his mind, if I go into this pool of water, I'm going to be healed. Okay, water's down here. I got to get down there because this pain in my arm is constant. Now, here's what we do know. That when we have pain, when we have trouble, it comes from a few different areas. Sometimes it is just purely Satan. Really? Like, biblically speaking, he actually can bring pain. His demons can bring pain, even sickness, lameness, those type of things. That exists. Or our own sin as we're going to see with this guy today. Sometimes it's discipline from the Lord, a little bit of pain to say, hey, get your life in order. What are you doing? You're my child. We don't do this. Okay? Sometimes it's a result of living in a fallen world. So a lot of different reasons that bad things happen. Don't just assume right away, well, it's sin or it's Satan. It doesn't necessarily have to be the case. It could be discipline from the Lord. It could be, as in John 9, that he's doing this. There was a guy who was blind Literally, the whole reason Jesus explains it is so God would receive glory. Well, that doesn't seem fair. 
say that to the creator of all things, that it's not fair that he does something to receive glory. It's not what the Bible teaches. So in this scenario, what's interesting, and we saw this a lot when we were in Africa, a lot of the evil spirits and things, what would happen is they would make sacrifices or something. So in this scenario, this pool, he's hurting. Let's say this is Satan hurting him. If he steps down into the pool, it doesn't mean that Satan has healed him. But if I let go, what does he think has happened? He's healed. He's better. So now he goes and he tells everyone about this pool. Thank you, Roy. You can have a seat. You can give him a hand. I pinched him hard so you can clap for him. Hope not. Sorry if I did. I'll buy you key lime pie. So think about this for a second. It's not that Satan necessarily heals him, but he goes into that pool and he stops doing it. Why would he do that, though? Doesn't he want him to be miserable? One thing that Satan likes better than making you miserable is that you give glory to something else other than God. So when he goes in, everyone says, the pool and the water, that's what you have to go to. And so what's the guy doing? For 38 years, he's laying here and he's like, I've got to get there, but no one will pick me up. And people are walking right by him. They've seen him. Oh, excuse me. Sorry about that. Let me get in here and get healed. And maybe Satan goes ahead and heals one or the first one in the water, but Satan doesn't actually have to heal him. He just has to stop causing problems. And no one's focused on God. That's what Jesus does. Look at the text. Look what he does. Jesus says, Do you want to be healed? The sick man, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and when I am going, another steps down before me, possibly for 38 years. Jesus just goes right by all that. Verse 8, Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed and walk. And at once, the man was what? He took up his bed and he walked. Jesus said, Get your eyes off that. Get your eyes off the pool. Get your eyes off of everyone else who's not helping you. Put your eyes on me and I will fix the situation. Brothers and sisters, listen to me this morning. I don't know what sickness you might have. I don't know what trouble, what difficulty, your marriage, a relationship with a sister, a brother, a friend, some issue going on. If you keep looking to the wrong things to try to fix it, like fortune cookies or horoscopes, it's not going to get fixed. Look to Christ, which means look to the Word of God. That is how things get fixed, at least as far as we can go with it. Now, that doesn't mean, as Miss Kathy Sharon about her dad, that doesn't mean, well, if you'll, ju- if you'll just look to Christ, then he's going to be healed for sure. We don't know that for sure in this life. But what I can tell you is if he looks to Christ, he will be healed forever. So there's hope there. That's what Jesus is teaching this guy, okay? That's what he's teaching. Are you tracking with me so far? Okay. So he took up his bed and he walked. Now, a little shift in the story. Now, that day was the Sabbath. Uh-oh. We know anytime you start to see the Sabbath come up in the New Testament, a lot of times, that means there's going to be a problem with somebody. So the Jews, not just Jewish people, but these are the Jews, the leaders who've been already trying to figure out who Jesus is, what's he doing, causing problems, said to the man who had been healed, it is a Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Now, at this point, they may not have known he was healed. They probably should have recognized him but he's carrying his bed on the Sabbath. Now, it doesn't say in the Old Testament that you can't do that. It does say that we're to set aside the Sabbath and make that holy unto the Lord. We're going to talk on Wednesday night in more detail about what that means for us in the New Testament. But in particular, 
he's carrying his bed. Well, the Jews, there's the law in the Old Testament. And then what the Jews, the leaders would do is they would make more laws on top of those laws. Okay? So it's kind of like you have this circle of laws and you don't want to break that. So what the Jews would do is they would make more laws away from the center, making sure that you wouldn't break the inner laws. So they had 39 things you couldn't do on the Sabbath. Categories. And this was one of those. So he wasn't actually necessarily breaking God's law. He's breaking the Jewish law. Just so you know, we have some of those as Christians. Ways you're to dress or not dress. Perhaps conversations on things like tattoos. (gasps) Sin. Or is it in Scripture? Maybe not. What you wear to church, where you sit in church, the types of songs you sing, whether or not you clap your hands or you raise your hands or maybe even dance, we have other things that we've added with our traditions to the Word of God. We need to be very careful when we do that because we don't want to be a bunch of Pharisees. We want the Word of God to set the parameters and then we live free in Christ within those. So they're on to him. It's not, you shouldn't do this. Now look at his quick answer. Why he says this, I'm not sure. I think he's passing the buck, but I'm not sure. The man, he says to him, he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. So he explains to them, well, I've been healed, and so uh, he told me to do it. Not sure it's the best answer, but he's going with it. This shows you, right here shows you the heart of a Pharisee. The next verse will show you the heart of a Pharisee. And here's the thing, I love you. You need to check yourself on this. If you miss the great things that God does because you're too worried about rules sometimes, again, not breaking God's law, I'm talking about extra rules, then there may be a problem. Look at this. He just said, the man who healed me told me to take up my bed and walk. Healing. Miracle. Something special. Here's their response. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? They missed it. It's the wrong question. The right question is, who healed you? Right? Like, that should be the question. That's incredible. There's a healing that just took place. Who told you to take up the bed? Who, who, who told you to break our rules that we've made? If that's your heart, sometimes you're closer to a Pharisee than you are to Jesus. Okay? Moving on. Verse 13. Now look at this. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. He didn't even know he healed him. He's been healed. 38 years he's been sitting there and he didn't even know who to say thank you to. Didn't know who it was. Didn't know who to give praise to. Jesus had to get away quickly. Whether or not this guy chased him down, apparently he didn't. Interesting. Now look at this. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you're well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Interesting. Jesus finds him in the temple. That's where he was going anyway, in the temple area. He goes, why does, it, why does Jesus not leave it alone? The guy's healed. That's what he wanted. But Jesus goes and finds him and talks with him about it. Why would he do that? Because it's important to know why he was healed. And it's important to know who healed him. So Jesus isn't going to leave it there. He's going to go find the guy and explain to him who he is and why he was healed. And it's in the second part of that verse that we see that. See you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Apparently, there's a part of this guy's sin that had brought this upon him. Now, that's not always the case in Scripture. 
but in this case it seems to be tied to that. What could be worse than being an invalid sitting on steps for 38 years that people just keep walking right past you and you can't get into the water? I'll tell you one thing, eternal separation from God. Don't sin anymore. He's not saying be perfect. He's saying follow God truly so you are not separated forever and suffering as he was forever. Verse 15, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Isn't that interesting? Jesus tells him, don't sin anymore. And he runs, not just to everybody, proclaiming how great Jesus is because he's been healed now that he knows who it is. He goes back to the Jews who had questioned him to say it was Jesus. You asked me a few minutes ago, I found out it's Jesus. It doesn't seem like he's grateful here. It actually seems like this is a bad thing that he goes and does. We don't get to hear a lot more from this guy, so we don't know. We'll find out one day. But look what happens, verse 16. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. He makes a comment here. He's already referred to to God as his Father earlier, but they didn't catch it. This time they catch it. And they're persecuting him because he's doing these things. And what he just said was, my father's doing work, he doesn't stop, and I don't stop. And so they're going to get angry and they're going to say, you're claiming to be God. And that's going to lead right into this next verse. And next week we're going to talk through more of what that means. The last verse we have today, this, is, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, which actually he probably wasn't, because God tells us that he desires mercy, especially in the house of mercy. And the way it was read this morning, we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love our neighbor as ourself. That sums up the whole law and the prophets. So even the law of the Sabbath, love is what sums it up. And Jesus is loving this man by healing him. I don't think he's breaking the Sabbath at all. I think he's fulfilling it. He's fulfilling it perfectly. But then they say, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Just so you know, here's your choices. If you look at scripture fairly and you say, Jesus, this is something from C.S. Lewis. Some of you heard it before. You have three options when it comes to Jesus. When he talks about himself, he's making himself equal with God. There's people out there who will tell you, Jesus never claimed to be God. The Bible never says that. Just did. Here's the thing. Then that means if you're going to take Jesus at his word, you have three options. Either one, he's absolutely crazy because he's claiming to be God. Or he's lying to you, which right away that means you have to stop also saying he's a good teacher. That's why you can't be a Muslim or Buddhist or Hindu and say, oh, Jesus is a great teacher. We like him. He just lied to you. That's not a great teacher. The last option is if he's not lying, if he's not crazy, if he's not a lunatic, Then he's Lord. He's who he says he is. He's God incarnate. So as we leave today, a couple things just I want you to continue to think about. Realize that it's Jesus who gives life to the sick and to all of us. And if we keep our focus on him, he can truly fix our issues. But if we focus on the problems themselves or we focus on what everybody else is doing, 
we're going to be hopeless like this guy. The other thing I want to say is, notice what this guy does. When Jesus tells him to go, he tells him to pick up his bed, the thing that he would lay on all the time trying to get into the water. He tells him to take it and go. Because you're not supposed to return back to that place. He's healed. Do you think that he should come back and lay on the mat every day and try to get in the water now? Not at all. For all of you in here who are followers of Jesus, you are healed. Your sins are forgiven. You are set free from bondage. You do not have to go back to those things. You are free from those things. If you're here and you do not know Jesus, I hate to tell you this, but because you're here today, I get to. I have to. You're in bondage still. You are not free yet. You're the guy on the steps. You have no chance. There's no hope apart from Jesus. Cry out to Him. Change your focus to Him. Believe in the fact that He died on the cross for your sins as a sacrifice, and after three days He rose for your salvation. Believe in Him today, and then you can be truly healed. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for Your Word. And as we read this morning, how it is living and active and it cuts us deep, Lord. And so, Lord, as those who are followers of Yours today, if we've been cut a little bit by this, Lord, we're thankful for that because we know that everything that You do for us as Your children is to make us more like Your Son and for You to receive glory. So I do pray for each one of us here that as we're focusing on life, everyone in here has troubles, everyone in here has issues, everyone in here has broken relationships with others. Lord, I pray that in everything, that we would take our eyes off of those issues, our eyes off of everyone else, and just focus in on you. And as you ask us, do we want to be healed? Do you want your marriage fixed? Do you want this? Do you want that? Our answer would be yes, and we see that we're hopeless apart from you. Help us to see that we need you, we need your word, and we need the community that you've given us, each other. Lord, for those who are here, and they keep going back. They feel in bondage. They, they, they've, they've professed faith. They're following you, but yet they seem to keep going back to these same things that have them in bondage, even though they're set free. It's like the chains are broken, but they go over and they take the handcuffs and they put them on their wrists, even though they're not locked. I pray that by the power of your Spirit that they would see that they are not in bondage anymore and they can move on from that. Help them to fight. And Lord, for those who are here who might be here today and they don't know you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that they would say, I don't want to be the guy on the side of the pool who can't, can't find healing for my soul. I pray that they would come forward today, that today would be the day of salvation. They'd cry out to God. Lord, I thank you for my friends. I thank you for my family that's here. I thank you for everyone. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.